Welcome to another episode of Unwritten Rules, an Iowa Cubs podcast. I'm Randy Wayhofer, Vice President and Assistant General Manager and former broadcaster with the iCubs. And Alex Cohen is with me today, our current play-by-play broadcaster uh, for the team. And today we're going to trade some stories about uh, our time in minor league baseball, well over 30 years combined uh, between the two of us working in minor league baseball. And I I suppose we've seen a few things in in that time, huh? 30 years, once you put it into a number, that sounds like a really long time. And uh, yes, we've been in the same league. We've we've both obviously broadcasted PCL games, but also time in the Midwest League. And, And as we both know, Midwest League, single A ball, the travel and the broadcasting there. It is a completely different animal to the PCL. Uh, it, it couldn't be more different. So I, I think going into that and talking about some of the stories that, that, that go behind the broadcast and the other duties as assigned that come as a broadcaster, I mean, I think that our listeners know that we don't just show up and call a three, four, sometimes five-hour game but they don't know exactly what goes on. So I think us breaking that down and telling some cool stories on the way will be um, fun for you listeners to hear. Well, uh, so let's start there. What, what uh, especially going back to your Midwest League days, what's uh, a, 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 an A-ball, quote, air quote, A-ball situation that, that stands out to you? It, it, it's a six-letter word, travel. And, and with the PCL, you know, we have the luxury of sometimes flying on planes, and it's not a private plane. It's a commercial airline where you're sometimes stuck between two people on a Southwest flight at 530 in the morning. But that is considered luxury in comparison to some A-ball travel, which is, for the majority of the time, bus trips through the night, seven, eight, nine hours, where then you're playing a doubleheader the next day. The, the one that sticks out to me, is in 2016, we are, I work for the Bowling Green Hot Rods, the Midwest League single-A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays, in Bowling Green, Kentucky. We're the southernmost point of the Midwest League. Everybody in our division is a six, seven, eight-hour drive away. It was just treacherous for travel. So we're busing to Lake County, Ohio, where the Lake County captains are just outside of Cleveland. It's a through-the-night bus ride. It is August we had a rain out against them about two months before, so we had five games in four days in the middle of a pennant race. I think we were a game and a half up at the time. We're busing through the night at about 90 miles, middle of Ohio, 4.30 in the morning. The bus breaks down. And I won't say that that's normal for minor league baseball, but that happens a fair amount. So the bus breaks down. One hour passes. Can't start it. We call another bus company, can't get a hold of them. Two hours passes, nothing. Finally get a hold of another bus company. Takes them an hour and a half to come get us. So 4.30 in the morning plus three hours, 7.30 in the morning, we're watching the sunrise from the side of a highway in Ohio. Quite picturesque. So we get picked up, and we get bus back to our hotel, which we get there around 9.30, maybe 10 o'clock in the morning. Keep in mind, we have a double header that day. Starts at 5.35. They pushed it back to 6 o'clock. How nice of them. Half an hour, huge. So we get back at 9.30 in the morning. We get picked up by the buses at 11.30 in the morning. So maybe at half an hour nap, hour nap. Get to the ballpark. Take BP. Sweep the double header. Sweep the series. Win five games in four days clinch the vision on the last day, and obviously celebrate on the ride back. So that kind of puts things in a nutshell where yeah, you have just this horrendous travel you know, situation in the Midwest League. But by all odds, you, you fight through it. You win five games in four days. Nobody at the stadium knows. All the fans are in there. They think it's a normal travel day. You get there, you play baseball. There's so much more that goes behind it, but – we ultimately won the division, and it was their first playoff berth in franchise history. So, I will always remember that. Yeah, it's uh, you know that's always been 
the thing for me on those kinds of days, the guiding light is that nobody that bought a ticket or nobody listened that day cares what I went through they until, no they listen, until they listen to the podcast yeah. years later to find out the funny stories. But, you know, that was the art of being a pro at this level for me was the ability to uh, deal with that and have hopefully nobody notice. But, you know, nobody slept on the way there and then nobody slept on the way home. Yeah. But the perspective of why you weren't sleeping was totally different. Could, it, 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 couldn't be, it couldn't be more different. And, you know, our, our, our fans, they have no idea until after the fact. They have no idea until we're recording this three and a half years later. But as you said, that's part of being a pro. And it's not just extended to the players. Broadcasters, too, we have to talk to ourselves for three hours. It's a little bit more difficult to do that on an hour and a half of sleep than it is on seven and a half hours of sleep. Well, when the game's good, that usually helps. But, uh, you know, for me... uh, sometimes the worst situations turn into the opportunity of a lifetime. Have I told you my story about South Bend? No. So in 2001, we're going to South Bend, and we're leaving early on a Saturday morning. Had a Friday night game, leaving Burlington early uh, Saturday. And uh, we get to South Bend, and the hotel was notorious for not being ready for the team when we got there. What hotel was it? Uh, We were in the Holodome. Uh, That sounds... Beautiful, the, five that, star. That time, uh, so we uh, we get there and the rooms aren't ready, and I was fired up because I was in charge and I reminded them and they knew what time we were coming. So everybody looks at me when the room's not ready and and my room wasn't ready. So we got there about one o'clock in the afternoon. We went to the ballpark at four. My room still wasn't ready. I was hanging out in the trainer's room, so I got on the bus and I was hot. And the coaches and the staff, we had a great relationship, and they are feeding me a little bit as yeah. we go through. So we get to the ballpark. So we're actually, we're pulling out of the hotel, and as we pull out of the hotel, one of the luggage bins pops open on the bottom of the bus right next to my seat. I'm sitting right behind the driver. And our driver sees it immediately and pulls in right next to the next parking lot. He checks around, doesn't see anything, closes it back up. We go to the ballpark. We get to the ballpark. I always step back, let the guys take their stuff off the bus. You go down a big ramp into the clubhouse at South Bend that was dug into the ground. And so everybody's clearing out. I go to get my equipment to go into the press box, and it's not there. That's such a terrible feeling. So I look around, and I checked. I crawled under the bus, and I'm checking all around. It's not there. So we had this one pitcher, Joey Baker, and he was kind of a prankster, and he and I got along really well, and I thought, you know, they heard me ranting and raving about the hotel a little bit. They knew I was hot. This is funny. All right, I get it. They took the equipment in with them. It's in the clubhouse. I'm going to go get it. So I go down into the clubhouse, and I'm looking all around. I looked in the shower. I looked in the bathroom. Guys are setting up their lockers. Nowhere. So I go into our manager, Joe Zeckley, and I said, Zeke, uh, listen, I get it. I was all fired up on the bus. Somebody took my equipment. He thought it was Joey Baker. <laughs> we both had the same Joe, idea. Joe Zeckley was your manager? Yeah. He was, my, he was my hitting coach. <laughs> yeah, we had him for yeah. four years. So, we, uh, so, so Zeke goes, all right, come on with me. We go find Joey Baker in the clubhouse. And like, I get it. It's a funny joke, but I got to go get ready. And he goes, that would be a funny joke, but I didn't do it. <laughs> so I go and I find the uh, home radio broadcaster, Scott McCauley. I borrow his car. I go back with the bus driver. We look all around. We're knocking on doors, going in businesses, looking for this thing. I file a police report with the police, come to the hotel. Nobody's seen it. And so I get, by the time I get back to the ballpark Saturday night, it's the second inning. So I'm not on the air that night. I sat behind the dugout and I kept my book. And they said they would get some equipment from their radio station for me for Sunday morning. Well, it turns out the radio station for South Bend that year was like an outhouse in the middle of a field in southern Michigan. It was 40 miles away and they had no equipment to borrow to get me for Sunday. So I can't be on the air Sunday. So Zachary goes, you want to coach first base? I said, are you serious? Can I? And he goes, yeah, why not? Did they give you a uniform? So they gave me a uniform. Did you fit into it? Yeah, we, uh, I was wearing number 10, which was a retired number for Dick Hauser for the Royals. It was extra because we weren't supposed they, to. They, they saved it for somebody special. <laughs> it was our first, first year. I borrowed turf shoes from Dusty Reitzman, one of the relievers. So, uh, so I'm dressed out, and we're going out for the Sunday afternoon game. Midwest League President George Spelius is in attendance that none of us realized <laughs> at the time. So Zeckley goes, take the lineup card out. I said, okay. 
So I take the lineup card I'm out. I'm jealous right now. And Steve Scarsoni is the manager of South Bend. So he, and he kind of know he heard that I had lost the equipment and kind of knew what was going on. And the base umpire that day is Billy Parker, who means nothing to anybody. But I had he's the only umpire I had ever talked to in the Midwest League because he had gone to umpire school with a good friend of mine from college. His partner working the plate was Mike Malinsky, who's still in the big leagues, I believe. And it has been for a long time. And he just left recently if he's not. So Scarsoni says, hey, if we fight today, he can't come out. And Malinsky goes, sure he can. He's right here on the card as bench coach. That Zekli had even written me in on the lineup card. So I'm on the lineup card as bench coach. We goof around and stuff. So uh, I go back, and the game starts. First two innings go by, and Terry Bradshaw, not the quarterback, the outfielders, our hitting coach, and says, hey, you want to coach first base next inning? I said, what do I have to do? He goes, hold this stopwatch and act like you know what you're doing. I said, okay. So now I'm getting a little nervous, getting a little excited. South Bend's batting, and the bottom of the second inning ends when Chad Tracy, the third baseman, not the catcher, who would play for the Iowa Cubs in 2010. Big leaguer, right? Yeah. Uh, red hair, yeah. good hitter, left-handed hitter, contended for a batting title. He gets called out on a check swing by the base umpire. So the inning ends. I go running out to coach first base. We're in the third base dugout. Parker, the base umpire, is behind first base to start the inning with nobody on and a two-man crew, and uh, we're talking, and uh, the inning's about to start, and all of a sudden, Scarsoni's up on the top step on the far end of the dugout, and he yells, hey, Parker, you really screwed us on that call. He didn't go, and Parker goes, I'm not talking about this right now. He went, and it's over. You don't tell me what I'm talking about right now. I'll talk to you about whatever I want to talk to you about right now. He didn't go. I'm not having this, this, and they're going back and forth. Now, the inning's supposed to start. The catcher's thrown down to second. Malinsky's messing with the lineup card as if he's buying time. Where are you at, at this point? I'm in the first base coach's box, in between the two of them. Our, listening our, to them scream at each other. Yeah, our pitchers are in the stands. They think that there's a problem, that I'm coaching first base, and I'm holding up the game because the radio guy's coaching first. So finally, after three or four exchanges, Parker says, that's it, I've had enough, you're out of here. And he runs Scarsoni awesome. out of the game. Oh, that's great. So now our side thinks I've just been ejected. And Scarsoni comes bursting out of the dugout and sprinting, and he brushes past my shoulders. He goes out and he gets in Parker's face, and they start playing the music. And I don't know what to do. This is more than, way more than I bargained what, what, for. What do I do with my hands? So I covered my mouth because I was laughing, and I didn't want anybody to see that I was laughing, well, least, least of all Scarsoni. So, so I start kind of drifting down the line. Willie Wilson was the hitting coach for South Bend. Finally, he comes out and literally pulls Scarsoni away to end the argument. So Scarsoni turns around, and he starts, instead of going back into the dugout where he came out, he starts walking right at me to go to the front end of the dugout where the lineup card is hanging. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what is going to happen here? And he gets right up next to me and he goes, there's one for your bleeping radio show. And he goes down That's into the tunnel awesome. and he leaves. Is that a direct quote? Can I use that? <laughs> and uh, uh, two batters later, Jonathan Guzman hits a home run. He was the only, only got to reach base in that inning <laughs> and runs past me for the homer. And I didn't go back out to first base again. That was, that was the most it. adventurous inning uh, I ever had but I had my room was ready when we got back to the uh, hotel finally and that was my adventure coaching first base in a professional baseball uh, game. I have a couple follow-up questions. <laughs> what happened to your radio equipment? Never turned up. I actually I did the last two games of that four game series on a handheld telephone with no highlights and no interviews and then I got knew we were going home right out it was just those there and back series and after I went home uh, we got new equipment, and actually the radio station had insurance on it, so I got nicer stuff when the when the new equipment came in to replace so, it. So it all worked out. My other question is, you said you were on the lineup card, right? Do you have the lineup card? I don't, because it was just a three-part carbon paper. It's not like, it wasn't the fancy. You're on a professional baseball lineup. I got a picture on my desk of me exchanging the lineup card. I've seen lineup cards in your office, and I think there was one when you called a game in the big leagues, you have the lineup card. But I would figure one that you're actually in a professional baseball game, you would have some sort of copy of the lineup card. I just have that picture. And then I remember the bus driver telling me I came up out of the clubhouse that day and the autograph guys were flipping through their binders Who's of this cards. Guy? And, and the bus driver, Dean Day was our bus driver. He starts laughing. There. He says, you're not going to find him in there. They're like, hey, wasn't he wearing number 10 today? And he's like, you're not going to find him in your card set. He probably <laughs> thought you were a left-handed pitcher. <laughs>
you brought up two things there that that I want to come across. One is just the absolute fear that a broadcaster has when they think that they lost their radio equipment. And on one of the bus rides that I had early in my career, I fell asleep right when we got on the bus, and I had a nightmare that I forgot my equipment. Very vivid. And I woke up. It must have been like a cat nap 20 minutes in, but I legitimately thought I left my radio equipment so much that I stopped the bus and say, I got to check underneath because we're still at the point where we can go back and get the radio equipment. I got met with so many four-letter words from the rest of the staff and players, and I'm like, guys, my job is on the line. I need to go. We're going to take two minutes. I'm going to go down and check if I have the equipment, and then we're going to leave and never talk about this again. I went down. My equipment was right there. I walked up. I got booed. I got clapped. I went back to sleep, and we went on our way. I just had so much fear of losing the radio equipment. I mean, you, you honestly feel it's a naked type of feeling. And then you also talked about the hotel, about the holodome. Yeah. <laughs> when you're a radio broadcaster, especially in lower levels of minor league baseball, it is a wide spectrum of hotels. There are some really nice hotels Southern League, Jacksonville, the downtown Hyatt, my favorite, rooftop pool. It's great. It overlooks the water. There's a certain hotel in Tennessee that you walk in, and there was a hypodermic needle sitting in the shower when I got there. So they're on opposite sides of the spectrum. Do you have any hotels that you remember that you're like, oh, man, this is nice. I could get used to this, or some that, like, I, I got to sleep in my car. I got to sleep in the bus. I got to sleep in the clubhouse. Yeah, so that night, this is true, Uh, that night after I coached first base, I now had two days worth of game notes to catch up on uh, and things, so I'm working late. So in the Holodome, the room that they gave me, the room that they gave me after I was all fired up that my room wasn't ready, so you had like the main lobby, you had a stretch of rooms, you had the Holodome, which had the pool and the games and all that kind of stuff, and then on the far end against a wooded area, was an outdoor hallway with four rooms stretching out and an extra hall. I had the last one of the four in the outdoor on the complete outskirts of the hotel. And as I walked to it, I looked in the open windows of the other three. They were storage for mattresses and cleaning supplies. Why they even had that room open, I don't know. So it's getting late and I'm thirsty. I'm working on my game notes. So I go back to the vending machine in the Holodome and I put my money in and it was late, so I didn't want caffeine. It was a Coke machine, so I'm gonna get a Sprite. And I hit the Sprite button, and nothing. It Still is, with a lot of sugar, s- but no caffeine. Sold out. You know, I don't. Over I'm, I'm a minor league radio broadcaster. I'm not worried about health I at know. this point in calories. So, no Sprite. Tried root beer. No Sprite. Over no, Nothing. Sold out. So I'm like, okay, I'll get a Coke. There was three buttons for Coke. All of them were sold out. Not your night. I just can't do diet. That's a personal thing of mine. So the last choice was... I I, I don't do diets either. So the last choice was a Dr. Pepper. So I hit the Dr. Pepper button, and it starts to churn, and a bottle comes out, and it's Mr. Pibb. And there's Mr. Pibb isn't even one of the choices on the machine. There's no picture of Mr. Pibb. So they just threw any soda that they wanted to put in there. So the machine's empty except for one flavor that's not even listed... On the choices. Did you enjoy the and, and by this point, I'm so frustrated with this place. I just blurred out at midnight in the middle of this hotel lobby. You have got to be kidding me. And a security guard walks by. And the security guard goes, excuse me, is there a problem? And I explained to him my adventure with this vending machine. <laughs> and the guy says, all I know is I can't help you. And he continues to walk on his way. That was the high level of customer service uh, that I got. Uh, there was a, an Econo Lodge in Beloit where... Um, the internet didn't work in the room, but they had a common area uh, where you could go plug in and work like on a folding chair, except a church held services there on Sunday morning. So before the game on Sunday, you couldn't go in and do any work because they were in the middle of their church service. There was lots of interesting uh, days. Those are a couple that stand out. My, my, one of my favorite hotels, low key, is your old spot, Burlington. Fun City is the best. I love it. 
They had a $7 lunch buffet that I went to yeah, four times. Indoor go-karts and arcade and laser tag and a bowling alley. A casino. And- I mean, they had everything. It was like a 19-year-old minor leaguer's paradise and then a 26-year-old broadcaster's paradise. Yeah, the worst thing about working in Burlington was the fact I never got to stay at Fun City. That's for sure. I'm Randy Wayhofer. He's Alex Cohen. This is Unwritten Rules, an Iowa Cubs podcast. Make sure you check out iowacubs.com for everything you need to know about the Iowa Cubs uh, Uh, coming up on this 2021 season. We're talking today about our adventures on the road and around uh, uh, baseball, and we've talked about equipment missing and our own equipment, but actually the most recent thing that happened here at Principal Park is a wild story in and of itself in our playoff game at the end of of 2019. We've got kind of two different perspectives on that day because you were traveling with the team, Mm -hmm. and I was here waiting for you guys to get back. Uh, Let's start from your perspective of what you remember of why on a beautiful day we were delayed an hour for the start of our playoff game against the Round Rock Express. Well, first of all, it was our first home playoff game here at Principal Park in a decade. So there's a little bit of lead up getting into this game in its own right. But So we have that series against the Round Rock Express. We lose two games down there, both in extra innings. Morale is low. We get to the airport at 3 o'clock in the morning. Normally, when we're bringing our equipment from place to place, there's one of two options. You FedEx it, or you bring it with you on the plane. Well, we booked this trip so late because of the playoffs, and we clinched the week before, that we weren't able to get those two. The plane was too full, FedEx was booked up, so we got another company to bring our equipment up, which isn't not, it's not unnormal, but it was just different. The company was the preferred carrier by Round Rock Correct. because we partnered up because it's rare that the two teams are going to the same destination. So we're thinking efficiently from a coordinating standpoint, all the equipment's coming together so that we're all in it together yes. for that day. So we're but it using, wasn't one, it wasn't a normal avenue that yeah. we that we used. And both teams stuff is together, which yes. is unusual That's too. That's twelve hundred pounds of equipment right there. <laughs> that is 49 bat bags. That's a bunch of gloves and a bunch of baseballs. Our our baseball livelihoods are in that truck. So I get to the airport at 3 o'clock in the morning because I'm also the travel coordinator. Bus arrives at 3.30. We get on a 5 a.m. flight. Get back to Des Moines at 11.30. I get home. I take a 30-minute nap, a shower. I get to the ballpark. And right when I get to the ballpark, I get a call from you saying the equipment isn't here. There are so many options that could be, where's the equipment? Did it get lost? Is something missing? In this particular instance, it was stuck on the side of a highway in, I believe, Missouri at the time for three to four hours that we would learn. So we're in a holding pattern. We're waiting to see if we're going to start our first playoff game in a decade on time. Happens to be an hour delay. Well... So the other part of that, so Jeff Tilley's talking to the trucking company, and they're trying to get a relay van and a sprinter truck down there to get the equipment. So we get it going again. Then it hit traffic coming through St. Louis at rush hour, Mm -hmm. which it should have avoided several, you know. So while you're up here getting ready for the broadcast, we've got the rest of the staff outside gate A waiting for this truck to arrive. We take the Des Moines police officer. We find out that they're on 235 and they're headed this way. So one of the officers that's working security at the ballpark that night heads out to meet the van to give it a police escort (laughs) to the ballpark to get it here faster. He's waiting at the exit. The truck misses the exit and it goes back the other way. Uh, Officer Grasso's doing... Uh, goes does a U-turn in the median in the opening for emergency vehicles hey, only to try to track the guy down. He gets stuck in the East Village somehow, passes up the ballpark, oh, and comes God. in, finally pulls into the ballpark. There's fans all around. People are wondering what's going on. And then the truck pulls up, and everybody springs into action. Tilly sli- slides open the doors, and uh, we're I'm throwing. I'm down there because one of my equipment's down there, too. We got the call up in the press box, all hands needed, downstairs, we're throwing bags at each other <laughs> like it's an I Love Lucy Oh, I think I episode. got pelted by Mark Zagunis' helmet. And, the, and, and guys are coming out of the Round Rock Clubhouse, and they're grabbing their own bags. We're trying to separate which one's which. So we got the game underway an hour late in the bright sunshine. But it's such a helpless feeling because you don't know. There's nothing anybody could have done no. any differently. No, we, we, we handled it 
the way that we had to, but normally when there's a delay, it's because of weather, rain, snow, a power outage. There's none of that. So we have the fans in the ballpark. It's 77 degrees. It's a beautiful September day. And we have to tell them that there is a delay because of some unforeseen circumstances. Well, the unforeseen circumstances are both teams' equipments were stranded on the side of a major highway in Missouri for three hours and then got lost and accompanied by a police escort. So at least, uh, you know, the players were safely in the clubhouse and, and, and doing fine. We've, the worst one that I've been a part of was trying to go to El Paso one year. Might have been the first, no, it was the second time we went to El Paso. Uh, so this is maybe five years ago. And we flew after a day game, had an off day, and then we're playing in El Paso the next day. No, no, there was no off day this time. That's so we tough. leave after a day game. We're going to stop in Dallas and uh, make a connection on, in Dallas to get to El Paso. While we're in the air, a thunderstorm comes up in Dallas and shuts down the Dallas airport. So we had to land in Oklahoma City and we didn't go to the terminal. We just landed to refuel because we were circling so long. And uh, so we're on the ground in Oklahoma City for two hours. So this is not three hours. This is not during an off day. This is during no. This is after a day game and getting and not having to play till the next night. But you still learn that that travel day is huge. Yeah. So yeah, there was no off day this time. So then it turned out uh, the plane wasn't full. Uh, This is a kind of a funny aside as part of this story. So I was I had the window seat, and then a member of the general public had the aisle, uh, the middle. And the aisle seat was empty. And they closed the doors. And when something like that happens, the person in the middle moves over to the aisle because nobody's coming and you kind of give that personal space buffer. Well, this young man sitting next to me doesn't move. And I'm kind of looking at him like, you you can move over. We can have a little space here. You know, and the guys are chirping a couple rows behind me. Hey, Randy, who's your new friend? You know, what's going on? Uh, You know. And, and he's not responding to any of this. So when we finally we're in the air for a little bit and the seatbelt sign goes off, I said, you can move over to that aisle if, if you'd like. And he goes, oh, and then I realized that English probably wasn't his primary language. So he moves over and sits in the, in the aisle seat. And then all this storm blows up and we land in Oklahoma City and he's panicked. And Mariano Duncan was our hit, one of our hitting coaches that the year. The guy sitting next to you. Was yeah, panic. is okay. panic. And so Mariano starts speaking Spanish to him. Turns out he was supposed to connect to Cuba. He had to get to Dallas to get to Miami to get to Cuba, and he knew no one anywhere. And he didn't. He, his English skills were very limited. And there's only like one flight into Cuba every day. It's from Miami. So this, you know, so this puts a little perspective on you know he's dealing with real life stuff we're going to be maybe late for a baseball game so that was a whole nother dimension of this so we finally land in dallas at two o'clock in the morning and there's people everywhere because the airport was shut down and most everybody's connection is canceled well you got there at two o'clock in the morning yeah except it says our flight to el paso is on time at 4 a.m at a different gate so we all trudged to this gate to get ready, and we sat there for a half an hour, and then they canceled the flight about 2.30. Now, you know how PV is at this point. He's freaking out, and he doesn't know what he's going to do. And I can't he, imagine he was and particularly And he's got to get the player, you know, I got to get these players off their feet. I gotta, we got to do something. I said, PV, give me at least 30 minutes to find out what's going on before anybody leaves this airport, because if they tell us that we're on an 8 o'clock flight and they've rebooked us, then uh, I can't have everybody gone, and then we miss you it. You can't have them all miscellaneous. He said, "Okay." He goes, "Okay, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you thirty minutes." So I go to get. <laughs> I go to get in the line for the to talk to the customer service representatives. Someone had walked it off. It was literally a mile long of people down the concourse in the terminal at Dallas. There was a mile. Of people. Is it American Airlines? Yes. Yeah. And so they, had pe- so they had representatives handing out these cards to call the number so that you, 
so you wouldn't have to wait. Well, we got a party of 37 people at this point. And Shane Nelson and Jonathan Fierro were the trainers, and they're with me. And Garrett, our video coordinator, and Ryan Clausen were there. And we waited about a half hour, and I'm calling the number. And every time I tried to get transferred to groups, it dropped the call. So there's an airport, there's a hotel attached to the airport in Dallas. Yeah. So I told Shane and Jonathan to get out of line and call the hotel and they got rooms for everybody. So they took the team to the hotel and I stayed in line. And I stood in that line for two more hours. I called the travel agent, I called the league office, I called Sam, they're all sleeping at four o'clock in the morning. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm did waiting. Did Sam answer when you called him? Eventually they did. <laughs> Uh, but they weren't going to do anything anyway no, at said, that oh, point. They're aware of the situation. But so I waited two hours. It. I could actually see the counter, and then somebody made the comment behind me, why don't they just put you on another airline? And I thought, well, because they were all shut down. There is no other help. So finally I got through to the group desk, and they said, uh, yeah, we've got you all, uh, we've got eight of you put on a flight uh, Tuesday at 4 o'clock. I said, well, I've got, got a baseball game tomorrow. I, I don't got till Tuesday at 4 o'clock. So I got on my phone, and I started looking at Southwest. And Southwest flies out of Love Field, and we're at DFW. Yeah. But they've got 40 seats open on a direct flight to El Paso at 2 o'clock that afternoon. So I got out of line after waiting two hours, called Southwest, had my laptop open, and I booked all but two tickets. I could get everybody but two people on that flight. So I left me and Ryan Clausen, the strength coach, off because Clausen had the rental car reservation in El Paso. So I knew that we could get to the hotel if we landed later and, and get everybody there an hour sooner than we did. So I booked the flights. I called Shane. Shane found two buses to take us to Love Field later that day. It's 25 minutes. Yeah. yeah. So we, then we had to switch airports. And we got there. Those planes were delayed. We landed in El Paso at five. That was an off day. We, Clausen and I got to the hotel at 6 p.m. that next day on the off day, and we had to play the next day. But we used <laughs> two different carriers, four different bus companies, stopped in three different cities, and somehow we got there that day. Probably my proudest accomplishment as a travel coordinator. And those are the other duties as a side because it's not just broadcasting game in the PCL. If you're the travel coordinator, there's a lot of stuff like that. Well, it's fun because it worked and it's over and you live through it. When everything goes perfectly, there's no good stories to tell out of it. Well, it I, stinks when you're going through it, but after the fact, when you survive, it's okay. I, I think low-key something we want to talk about is all these professional athletes – in an airport at 5 o'clock in the morning. Remember, we're not flying charter. You're flying a commercial airline, so you have layovers, you have delays. You go to the St. Louis airport, you fly on Southwest, you have a three-and-a-half-hour layover. So walking around the airport and seeing these six-foot-six professional athletes sprawled out on seats or on the floor sleeping is really a sight to see going on Southwest and seeing Brad Wick in 2019. He's 6'7", 270 pounds in a middle seat is really a sight for sore eyes. So just being able to put that into some sort of context, these are professional athletes. Yes, they're flying, uh, but it's not the, the chartered airline accommodations that you hear about when it comes to professional athletes. You're talking about during a layover or – you know, a travel period like you were talking about, Dallas, 2 o'clock in the morning, you probably have players sprawled out all over the airport trying to get an hour or two of sleep. Um, it's not luxurious by any stretch of the imagination. And I always tell the guys, if you can be good today, how great can you be the rest of the time? And if you can survive that, how easy would the big leagues feel <laughs> when you get there? There's Correct. some perspective to put on that. I'm Randy Wayhofer. He's Alex Cohen. This is Unwritten Rules, an Iowa Cubs podcast. We're talking about our adventures on the road and as a broadcaster and some of the behind-the-scenes things we've seen around uh, minor league baseball. Let's, let's talk about on the field. Uh, when you get to see 140 games a summer, eventually you're going to run into some pretty cool stuff uh, that happens uh, on the field. What, what's some memorable games uh, that that you remember that you're glad that you were there, even I mean, as a broadcaster or not? The, there's a couple. Uh, one here, you know, my first game as the broadcaster for the Iowa Cubs. Obviously, there's some nerves there. You know, me going from, from A-ball to AAA, um, you don't really know what to expect. Uh, our first 
game here was a doubleheader in 2018 because it was 27 degrees and we were expecting a snowstorm the next day. So having 14 innings to call for your first AAA action ever is, is something you really need to prepare for. Uh, I, I remember the game vividly. Walker Bueller started the game. I mean, he was just nasty. I mean, he was in 28-degree weather, 96 to 97, painting the inside corners. The I-Cubs lost that game, but just starting off your AAA career in sub-zero you know, wind chills, 14, 14 innings, two games, Walker Bueller pitching, who's more than likely going to be an all-star and could win a Cy Young. That's something I'll remember for a long time. Uh, another game that sticks out to me is I've called one no-hitter in my entire broadcasting career, and that's spanning a 1,000 games. My team lost that game, and they were the one who our pitching staff had the no-hitter. We walked 11 guys. We committed three errors, gave up no hits, but still lost two to one. So an anticlimactic no-hitter. How many walks in that game? 11. <laughs> No wonder they couldn't get any hits. 11, <laughs> 11 walks, three errors, a 2-1 loss, and yet the first no-hitter that a team that I've called games for has ever had, and still to this day the only no-hitter I've ever broadcasted. I've actually seen five no-hitters in one perfect game and only two walk-off home runs for the team that I was working for. I, I, that's I, I couldn't that's make an that interesting up. ratio. So uh, – but I was thinking about memorable, memorable games, and two stand out. And it wasn't until I started looking at them yesterday that I realized they were both September 1st, five years apart. So funny things happen in AAA on September 1st, which is the day that guys get called up and Major League rosters expand. So let me paint this picture for you, Alex. September 1st, 2010, we're in Albuquerque, okay? Ryan Sandberg's the manager. We're in a pennant race with Memphis at this time. And in Albuquerque, the ball flies, it's arena baseball, the whole bit. So we are down 13 to 6. Oh, in the second inning? Going to the top of the ninth inning. Okay, that's fair. So Dean and I are working the game together. And it was our custom that I would go down and interview the star of the game, no matter what team they were from. So... John Lindsay for Albuquerque is two for five with a double, a homer, and three runs batted in. So I'm going to go down and interview John Lindsay after the game. I stop the laptop from recording because I don't have space left to record this frivolous ninth inning. And I head downstairs. We have no highlights of this game whatsoever. So I'm sitting behind the third base dugout, which is Albuquerque's side, even with Ryan Sandberg in the third base coach's box. So we come to bat in the top of the ninth, and this is what happens. Marquez Smith walks, Brad Snyder doubles, Jason Dubois hits a three-run homer. It's a 13-9 at that so point. Nobody out. Nobody out. Brian LaHare gets a base hit. They change pitchers. Bobby Scales comes up, hits a bouncer to first, throw goes wide to second for an error, first and second, nobody out. A wild pitch puts LaHare at third, Chris Robinson doubles to drive in a run. 13-10. Jonathan Moda strikes out for the first out of the inning. And then this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen in a game. And I'm sitting right there on it. Jim Adusi pinch hits in the nine spot. And he smokes a line drive right at the third baseman, Russ Mitchell. It's just above his head, but literally over the middle of his face, just above his head. Mitchell puts his glove up. It hits him in the glove. It rips the webbing of his glove, goes through his glove, and trickles behind him on the infield dirt and rolls away. He gets charged with an error because the ball went through his glove. In his glove. It's an error. It should have been a double play to end the inning because Robinson's got no chance not to get doubled off at second base. The inning continues. Sam Fold, now general manager of the Phillies, comes up, RBI single. He and Aducey double steal to get to second and third. So Marquez Smith walks, uh, then Marquez Smith, who started the inning with a walk, three-run homer. We're up 15 to 13. Nine runs on seven hits. And I'm watching all of this. With one out. Yeah, with one out. <laughs> and three more guys would bat. We didn't get another. And not recording anything. No, no recording. <laughs> oh, my God. No nothing. And then in the bottom of the ninth inning, Jeff Stevens gives up a two-out single and then gets future I-Cub at that point, J.D. Klosser, to pop out 
the shortstop to end the game. We win 15 to 13, sending a ball literally went through the guy's glove. All right, so here's the most important question. Who did you interview? You said you're down on the field, you're interviewing somebody. Who did you interview that day? Jason Dubois. With the three-run homer? Who had, who had two three-run homers in that game. He had a three-run homer in the seventh and a three-run homer in the ninth. I mean, that's the most pressing question. Who were you going to interview if the game held at 13-6? to six? So that was the most unbelievable comeback <laughs> I've ever seen. Now fast forward to 2015 in Oklahoma City, September 1st, last day of the regular season. Doubleheader. We need to win because we're tied with the Dodgers for the division at that point. Game one of that doubleheader goes 19 innings. This was in Oklahoma City, correct? Yeah, scheduled for seven. We go 19 innings. We used seven <laughs> pitchers in that game. Three different pitchers threw four innings in relief. Both teams scored two runs in the 10th. That could have ended it. It was 2-2 going to extra innings. It would become 4-4. Four to four as part of that and then some guy named Buck Britton great baseball name hit a two-run walk-off homer off Frank Batista in the bottom of the 19th inning to give Oklahoma City the six to four victory in that one what's happened so now we got to come back for game two half hour later what we're finding out later is that Deck McGuire is pitching for double a Tulsa he was called in the eighth inning of game one and told to drive to Oklahoma City. Ramon Troncoso, who was a former Cub, would start, but Deck McGuire pitches the last three innings of that game. It's one to nothing Cubs going to the bottom of the sixth inning. Carlos Pimentel, who's the league's pitcher of the year that year and won 12 games, gave up a two-run double to Corey Seager in the bottom of the oh sixth my. inning. That made the difference, and we had the bases loaded with one out in the top of the seventh and could not score. Pimentel had a hit for himself for the last out of the game and grounded out to shortstop. We lose both games of the doubleheader and lose the division in the longest. That 19-inning game took five hours and 44 minutes. We started at 4.35 in the afternoon ended at 10.19 p.m. for game one. Game two's first pitch was thrown at 11.04 p.m. The last out was recorded at 12.51 when Lee Curfew is 12.50 with no new inning to start after I that I mean, time. at least the second game only took an hour and 47 minutes. That, that's short for a seven-inning game. And Pimentel had a complete game. And was we did, it just, did you call that game solo? Yeah. So you called... 26 innings of baseball by yourself in a span of six hours and a five uh, uh, almost a six hour what was supposed to be a seven inning game solo there uh, i take that back there were more games that wasn't the last game of the season but it eliminated uh, it clinched the division for the dodgers <laughs> that's tough i i feel dejected just hearing that but I actually, uh, I took a picture of my scorecard and tweeted it out that night and got picked up by all sorts of places. I had to use two different colored pencils. I used uh, seven different innings twice <laughs> on my score sheet <laughs> to try I'm to I'm thinking keep about track that from an organizational standpoint. Of all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Scott Berenger was the uh, lead trainer, and he and uh, Clausen were bringing out orange, orange slices and cut up bananas to try to keep the guys hydrated, from, hydrated and, and from cramping up. Um, yeah, September 1st, five years apart, those two games. That's Just, crazy. If I made that up, you'd tell me I was crazy. And that was 2017? 15. I was going to say, September 1st, 2020, if we had a season last year, it probably would have been something crazy. <laughs> could have been, could have, could've could've been chaos. Been so, all right, we're, uh, I'm Randy Wayhofer. He's Alex Cohen. This is... Uh, what is this? Uh, this is our new podcast, Unwritten Rules. I uh, hope you're enjoying our, our conversation today. We're going to touch on a couple of other things. We, we get, um, we kind of called them yesterday, uh, pinch me moments um, in, in describing what we were going to talk about and, and opportunities you get by being around the game uh, that you, you just wouldn't get. And, and you had a really good one. I got two. Um, we'll start with 2019. July 4th, Principal Park. And if you've been to a game here at Principal Park on July 4th, it's really something special because you have the ceremony down on the field 
um, that a naturalization ceremony led by you know our our owner, Mr. Michael Gardner. Um, that you have people become citizens, and it's really something special to have on July Fourth, and and then they have that. If you've never been to a game at Principal Park, try to come on July Fourth and see that because it's really powerful. You know, thirteen thousand people here, fireworks. It's just it, it feels like baseball. It's what it's supposed to be like. Well, in two thousand nineteen, obviously twenty twenty presidential election cycle, Iowa caucuses. The presidential candidates were here at Principal Park. And I, I don't care if you're Republican or you're Democrat. If you're interviewing a presidential candidate on your broadcast, there's something that goes along with it. That's not something you're, you're able to do. So in a span of an hour, I interviewed Beto O'Rourke from Texas and Joe Biden. And just talking to them um, – and trying to have a, a basic baseball conversation with two politicians uh, that each have their own ten to twelve person, you know, entourage, uh, PR people, and uh, publicists and photographers, and you don't know what name to call them by. Do I call you by your first name? Do I call you by your title, your former title? So it, it's a little bit different than you and I just talking on the radio every third inning. Probably uh, stay away from hey you. No, yes, we, we didn't go. We didn't go with idea. you, but <laughs> I, I remember asking, um, you know, President-elect Biden, "What name do you want me to call you by? You're not the vice president anymore. Uh, you, you're obviously your your title in, in Delaware is a little bit dated." He's like, "Just call me Joe," <laughs> and I and I called him Joe. And I remember my my parents were listening to the game, and I got a text from my mom. She's like, "You didn't call him Vice President Biden? Like that sounds so unprofessional." I'm like, "No, no, I asked him." What do you want me to call you? Do you need a source? I'll put them on the phone right now. I mean, Always I, listen to your mother, Alex. Yeah, oh, my, my mom was like livid. She was like, <laughs> that was so unprofessional. I was like, hold on, hold the phone. I asked. So um, that was unique. And then my first year in broadcasting, um, I was 23 years old. I was in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, AA affiliate for the Brewers. My manager at the time was Darnell Coles, who was also a first-year manager, former big leaguer, former first-round draft pick, the nicest man I've ever met, top three at least, besides you, Randy. And, you know, he and I got to know each other. He was a first-year manager. I was a first-year broadcaster. I'm his son's age. So, you know, he asked me, you know, your baseball background, where you're from, your favorite player, that kind of stuff. It is our third road trip, excuse me. We are in Jackson, Tennessee. And I never heard Darnell raise his voice, curse, anything. Just the most mild-mannered person I've ever met. My job at that time was not only the broadcaster, but I was a media relations director. So I was responsible for game notes, transactions, everything. Our game's at 635. I get a call from Darnell at 4 p.m. And he's like, you have to come down to the office. We had a transaction. You screwed this up. And I heard him curse for the first time. He's like, you need to get down here right now to get this figured out. And me being 23 years old, and it's my first job, I'm like, I'm fired. I'm done. 30th ever game broadcast in affiliated baseball, I'm done. I'm a cautionary tale. I mean, and I had never heard him utter a curse word or raise his voice, and he did both. I'm like, I'm screwed. So I run down there, and it's 90 degrees. I'm sweating. I'm running. Their clubhouse is deep down the left field line. I run 500 feet, and he opens the door. And Darnell's laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? Like, I'm frantic. I'm sweating. What's so funny? And we had a conversation about a week before, and he asked me who my favorite player of all time was. I'm like, well, my favorite, you know, Phillies player of all time, because I grew up in Philadelphia. You know, obviously, I was a Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, you know, Cole Hamels fan, Jimmy Rollins fan, all that. But my favorite non-Phillies player of all time is Ken Griffey Jr., Hat backwards, climbing over my grandparents' the, uh, backyard fence, pulling back the wiffle ball. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. was my favorite player. So this is you know, the context there, and, and Darnell's laughing. I'm like, why are you laughing? And there's a guy sitting with his back to me. I can't see his face. He's also laughing. He turns around, and it's Ken Griffey Jr., and Ken Griffey Jr. was a special assistant to the general manager for the Mariners at the time. The Mariners were Jackson's double-A affiliate, Darnell and Ken Griffey Jr. played with each other in Seattle, so they devised this plan just to get me all rattled up. Um, 
I didn't have my phone at the time just because I was running down. So I obviously didn't have a, a pregame interview with Ken Griffey Jr., but I did talk to him for an hour. And it was my, oh, oh my gosh, like this is, this is real. Like this is my pinch me moment. I'm in baseball, like talking to my favorite player of all time and one of the best center fielders of all time. So um, I went from thinking that I was going to get fired um, in a span of 15 minutes going down and talking to my baseball idol. So that was pretty cool. Well, I learned early on, if they're not messing with you, then you're in trouble. Oh, he messed with me. I mean, yeah. I was, if, the co- if the coaching staff yeah. isn't messing with you a little bit, then they don't want you around, and that's that's much worse than 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 getting a little bit. It's of like a, if they don't pay attention to, to you at all, they know that yeah, you, know, you know that you're done. You never know who you're going to see at the ballpark. You know, we showed up in Beloit one day, and Tony Gwynn was there because his son was playing uh, with uh, Prince Fielder and uh, Jamal Weeks. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's standing around the batting cage helping guys from both teams. Uh, ended up working harder that day than any dad should going to watch the game. You know, the winter meetings are great for that kind of stuff. Uh, when we were at the Royals affiliate in Burlington, riding in a limo with George Brett to steak dinner uh, for the affiliate get-together was fun. But the most random one that I had was not that long ago. We were in Nashville, and I was on the second bus, and we get dropped off, and they've got that gate that has the Ford. you got to punch the buttons to get in mm-hmm. with the code to keep the clubhouses secure. So we got dropped off, but nobody on the second bus knew what the code was. So everybody was walking around, anybody know the code? Anybody know the code? Somebody call the trainer, get the code. And all of a sudden, this guy kind of brushes past. He goes, I got you. And I looked down, it was Ricky Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky was the one. Yeah, I got he, you, don't worry about he it. Was a, he, was, okay, Ricky. Yeah, he was a special instructor for the A's and was there to help for a couple of days with, with Nashville. <laughs> so Ricky let us in. Didn't even refer to himself in the third person that day. He said, I got, I heard, I got you, man. I'm the one person who's heard Ricky Henderson say I. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I think it's pretty cool here uh, with the Fergie Jenkins Foundation. They come here every year, and he brings – you know, Fergie comes on for an inning, and that's great. Fergie's a great guy. Uh, but also Lee Smith and Andre Dawson have come the last two years. I remember the first time I met Andre Dawson. He came on the radio. He shook my hand. I think my hand still hurts because of how strong his handshake is. I, I think he crushed the bone like one of my metatarsals because his hands are so big and so strong. When he shakes your hand, you're just like, oh, my, like, ow. Like, I, I understand why you were, you know, uh, one of the best power hitters of your generation. So, Well, we could probably do this for many more hours, and we'll probably do this again uh, sooner than later for for another episode but i think our time is up for uh uh today i uh, hope you enjoyed it this is unwritten rules and iowa cubs podcast i'm randy wayhofer he's alex cohen you can hear alex all summer uh, describing iowa cubs baseball on am 940 and iowacubs.com make sure you subscribe to our podcast we're going to have lots of great guests as we go uh, throughout the summer uh, we've got lots of great things planned All this great access we have uh, is going to be filled with lots of of fun stories like this. Alex, thanks for sharing some time uh, today, and and we'll we'll do this again. We'll get Dean uh, as part of this. We'll get uh, John Rogers on our staff to work in Cedar Rapids. We'll we'll cover a lot of ground, but uh, uh, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, and uh, really looking forward to talking more baseball as we get closer to the 2021 season. It's it's definitely refreshing to go over these old stories and, and, you know, relish the good old times but hopefully we can create some new memories as well well i had more on my list to share today so we're going to have to definitely do this uh, again sometime so make sure again please uh, subscribe like and share in the podcast unwritten rules and iowa coach podcast uh, and until next time this is randy wayhofer thanks for listening